to stand. So we're going to read Romans chapter 8, 1 to 11. And uh, at the very end of that, if you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words, just to distinguish God's word from my own. Romans 8, 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. You'll be seated. So we are in a series on the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is not actually a book. It's a letter, and it's written to the church of Rome in the first century. That, that church is existing in the epicenter of the Roman Empire and imperial cult worship. Now, all imperial cult worship is, is everybody in that town, Rome says, Caesar is Lord. Caesar has his own gospel, his evangelion. It's the same word that used for Jesus' gospel. But his gospel is a gospel of, of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It's good uh, in some ways. It brings safety. It brings security. It brings power. It brings economy. You get wide roads and curbs and gutters and master plan communities and all those kinds of things. You have military that is the greatest military on the planet at that time. It's unbelievable. But it only existed, it's gone now. It only existed for a specific time among a specific people in a certain geography. And now we can dig it up. We can find the roads and archaeology and the fountains and remnants of Rome. Now, that was Caesar's gospel. That's what comes from Caesar is Lord. But Jesus' gospel is different than that. And I want to I just, in, 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 by way of introduction of chapter 8, I want you to consider something. The gospel of Jesus Christ, better than the gospel of the Pax Romana, the, the, the idea that Caesar is Lord, but, but it's better than you think it is. It's better than you think it is in this way. Uh, a lot of people, when they think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, that he rose from the dead, uh, that he justified us by faith. That's what Romans chapter 1 through 7 was telling us. When we think of that good news, that, that we, we centralize it to ourselves and we think the good news is I'm going to heaven when I die. And that is good news. 
Nobody wants to go to hell, right? Come on. I don't. It's like the golf clap. I mean, me, I don't know. Nobody does. Well, it's better than that in this sense, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually profound, so profound, in fact, that it brings restoration to the entire cosmos, to the entire cosmos. So uh, Romans chapter 8 will tell us the whole creation was groaning because of sin, but it's been marred by sin. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, this resurrection, this crucifixion, this resurrection that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, that is restoring all things, will, will ultimately come down to not you going up to heaven, but heaven coming down. A new Jerusalem, a new Israel, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain anymore. God is the center. There is no temple, and Jesus is the lamp. He's the light. That's all we need, and it's, it's, it's spelled out in the book of Revelation. But Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8, in this pinnacle chapter, like, this is better than you think, way better. And so when we look at Romans chapter 8, we have to walk slowly because there's so much here. So we're going to break Romans chapter 8 into four different sermons, and we begin today with Romans 8, 1, 2, 11, understanding Jesus, he says of himself, he says, behold, I am making all things new. It's not like just restoring something that was old and polishing it up a bit. He's making all things new. Now, we get this big therefore on the heels of chapter 7 and and, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This huge therefore, and I had this professor that always used to say, like, you got to ask yourself the question, boys, what is the therefore, therefore, right? And he thought it was so funny. I'm like, we say that every time. <clears throat> but it's really true. Why, why are we getting this transition? Why do we have to understand this? All of chapter 7 was focused on uh, the law of sin and death versus the law of the spirit of life. Paul was contrasting, he was saying, like, the law is good, I agree with it. It illuminates my sin, but it kind of just produces death in me because it shows me the sin in my life, and that sin results in death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our our Lord. So he, he struggled with that, and then he told us, like, you know, I struggle with this. I agree with the law. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, all those things. I agree with the law, but my flesh is having a hard time living it out. I struggle with this. I agree with it in my mind, but my flesh doesn't want to do it. I actually do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things I want to do. And we kind of said, like, we get that. It's, 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 it's a real tension. It's a real thing. And he asked himself this question at the end of chapter 7, verse 24, wretched man that I am. It's like, I get, my flesh is death. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to, the Lord, to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then we get the therefore. Therefore. Like the tension is real, the struggle is real, the law is right, we are wrong, my flesh is death. Who's gonna save me from this? And then we get to therefore, and it says maybe one of the most profound verses, maybe the pinnacle verse in Romans, therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now, when it uses the word condemnation, it's like two words put together in the English that makes up this condemnation word. So it's judgment plus execution. Judgment plus execution equals this condemnation word. So we're just not like, like he's not holding me at fault. No, he's not judging me righteously in order to execute me. That's the condemnation we're talking about. The, con- the concept is, is, is detrimental and deadly in a way because the wrath of God is just and my sin is very real. But, but uh, we get here in this chapter, we get four reasons that we will not be condemned. And it, it, it says uh, the word for in the English standard version, F-O-R, but, but it could be the word because. And I'll start in, in, in verse two. It says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So you are not condemned because you have been set free in Christ. Amen. This is good news. Does anybody like freedom in here? All right, so we just, we just, just had veterans stand up, and we were so proud because they defended our freedom. In fact, I would say as citizens of the United States of America, maybe our highest value collectively is freedom. Maybe. We value freedom. And it says here, this is so much bigger than the United States of America. It's like the United States of America is like the Pax Romana. Yeah, we have freedom. We enjoy things. But, but the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. What the, what the law brought to you was an illumination of your sin that produced death. But in Christ, he has set you free the, from that law of sin and death. And he, he has given you ultimate freedom Uh, freedom from the wrath of God, freedom from the judgment and execution that equals condemnation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 45, it says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So Adam, the first man, he actually brought sin to the world. The last Adam, meaning Christ, became a life-giving spirit. So it's this shift, like we have been set free from the law of sin and death, and we have uh, we have been given life in Christ. And this is the, 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 the first big understanding is that you've been set free. And freedom, uh, freedom lets me breathe without burden. Freedom lets me sleep at night. Freedom tells me that no matter how bad circumstances seem to be, I know that I'm free in Christ. It gives me perspective and it gives me hope. Now, the second, the second thing we get here is uh, verses three and four. And it, it says in verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned him in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the second reason is because we're, we're not condemned is because God sent his son to do what the law uh, couldn't do. The law's a real thing, right? <clears throat> it really holds us uh, accountable. I used this illustration like three weeks ago, and then it came true in my life last on, on Friday. 
Remember when I said, how many of you have ever been pulled over in the last uh, <laughs> little bit? So Friday night, Friday night, I, just, I feel as the pastor I should confess my sins before the <laughs> congregation. Uh, Friday night, I, I went to pick up my daughter. She was studying with a group at Whataburger in uh, Friendswood. And so coming from my house, like I'm going from 45 down 528. You know how it gets really dark? between, you know, like you kind of drive out of the lights and you don't drive back in until Whataburger. And uh, so I'm like 45, 50, 55, 60, 60 feels good. (laughs) You know, it's like red and blue. And I'm like, oh man. So I pull over, pull into the Whataburger parking lot. And I'd already texted Eden like, hey, just be watching for me out the window. So all these Bay Area... Christian school kids are like looking out the window and I pull into the Whataburger parking lot. And uh, this lady comes to the, out of her car, to the vehicle, I roll the window down, hands on the wheel, you know, like, hi, Pastor Brian here. <clears throat> and she, I took, she took my license, she went back to the, the condemner, went back to the car. And uh, I was like, I'm busted, you know? And so she comes back, she goes, you know why I pulled you over? I said, I, I, I think I was going 62 and a 45. And she was like, man, nobody, nobody says that. Like, it was exactly 62 and a 45. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm a sinner. I did <laughs> Write me the ticket. And uh, she said a couple other things. And she gave me a verbal warning. It was mercy. Like, it never happens to me. Never happened ever ever has never happened in my life and uh i was so grateful but all these backs kids i'm sure i'm gonna hear it monday it'll be the talk of school you know um pastor brian got pulled over he was in jail all night you know how things go um but what i thought about then was like i'm so glad i did not get a ticket i did not want to be sent in defensive driving with the rest of you they got pulled over (laughs) this week uh no way do I want to, I don't have time, it takes eight hours, all that stuff. Um, and I, I felt mercy, like this lady showed me mercy. Thank you, Lord. And, uh, and that's a good thing, it, was, it felt good. But do you know, like what we're experiencing in Christ is so much more than, than this, you know, this human law that holds us accountable to things, that it does condemn us. It does show us, yeah, you deserve the ticket. How many of you deserve the ticket? I deserve the ticket. You know, it shows you that. But you don't just get mercy like a verbal warning. You get grace like you have, you've offended. It's not like mercy like you've offended me, but I'm going to let it go. It's grace like come be my son or daughter. Come up here. Come crawl up in my lap. Come be with me. It's crazy that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this second, this second point here, when Paul says uh, that, that he did through his son what the law couldn't do, he brought life. If the law illuminated sin and showed us why we're gonna die, Jesus brought life. And the beautiful thing here in this particular passage is it says in, in uh, verse three, the, the bottom of it, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, as a textual 
person. I'm really interested in this second use of the word condemned in chapter 8. The first time, he said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The second time, he said, Christ condemned sin so you don't have to be condemned. It's amazing. It's freeing, and it's eternally freeing. This is the best good news, the best gospel we have ever heard. It's not the gospel of Caesar that brought us curbs and gutters and wide roads and all of those kinds of things, sport and economy and entertainment, military and might and power and all that, that, that just goes by the wayside at some point. This is a gospel that never goes by the wayside and ensures that you will not be condemned when you cannot ensure that yourself. And I was getting that ticket. I thought I was going to get a ticket. I had no control, you know, I have no control over whether she writes that ticket or not. That's up to her, right? Same thing is true with, with this, only in a broader scale. You have no control the moment your heart stops. You have no control over what happens next. And you have to trust there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's, it is a beautiful gospel. The writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 7, 18 and 19, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, parenthetically, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This better hope, Hebrews 7, 22 says it's Jesus. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. I don't guarantee my salvation. Jesus guarantees my salvation. Now, for all of you performance-driven, trying to work your way to heaven, church people, you should take a deep breath right here and understand that you don't have to guarantee it for yourself, that Jesus is the guarantor of your salvation and ultimately the restoration of all things, the entire cosmos. Now, it goes on. It gives us two more reasons how, how we know we're not condemned. Jesus did the work. But then secondly, it begins to talk about life in the Spirit. And look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. You're, you're not condemned as a follower of Jesus because your mind is now set on things of the Spirit. Paul uses this word mind a lot in this section, to set your mind. Here's what happens when a person authentically follows Christ. Their minds change. Their minds change. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never sin. It doesn't mean you ever, never, ever get angry or something like that, but your mind changes. There, in this passage, there are two ways of living, according to the flesh, according to the spirit, and there is tension. It's kind of what Paul was talking about in chapter seven as well, this tension between uh, the, the flesh that is judged by the law and, and, and equals death, and this, this life and the spirit that is, that is uh, freedom. Galatians chapter five, Paul writes to the church at Galatians in, in verse 19 to 20, he tells us what the works of the flesh are. They're evident. In that culture, this is what the, the, the big ones were, and it's the same in our culture. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the things that are on the mind of someone who serves the flesh. Totally. That, that these are the things that absorb the thoughts of the one who has their mind set on the flesh. Paul is saying, like, look, you, your mind is changing. Can you imagine being Roman and you were participating in all of these things? however you wanted to, and nobody cared. Sometimes to work, you had to be in a guild that had parties that brought about drunkenness, orgies, sexual immorality, and the like, and you just wanted to lay tile, so you, you had to go to the party. You were that guy, and now you've chosen, you've said, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I couldn't rescue myself from my own sin. And uh, now I, I, I'm in Christ. And, and your mind has changed. Now, now, how do you know your mind has changed? You, you know your mind has changed because now you're like, I think my flesh kind of likes some of that, but can I do that? Can I be in this guild and do that and still be a follower of Christ? Why are you asking yourself that question? It's because your mind is changing, because it transforms you. It changes the way you walk, to walk in the Spirit. And so this is Paul saying, like, you know you're not condemned because now your mind is set on things of the Spirit. Verses 6 to 8, it, uh, it says, setting your mind on, on, the, on the Spirit is life and peace. Just, just look at verse 6. For, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. To, to set your mind on all these things is death. But to, to set your mind on things of the Spirit, it, it's life. Now, what are the things of the Spirit? Well, Galatians 5, 22 to 24, Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul will go on to say, we've died to our flesh in order to, to live for Christ. So I'm not this Roman guy anymore that's participating in these orgies, these parties, this drunkenness, this sexual morality. Now I'm a Christian following him. It doesn't mean my flesh never never desires any of that kind of thing. It means my mind has changed. I'm being transformed. I'm saved from that stuff, and I'm walking away from it. I've actually repented and turned the other way. This is how you know you're not condemned. You're walking in a new way. Otherwise, you'd be right in the middle of that. You'd be all over that, right? Because this brings you money. The guild thing in the Roman Empire is unbelievable, to be a teacher, you got to be in a guild. To be a, a tile worker, you got to be in a guild. To, to, to dye purple cloth, you got to be in a guild. It's the way the world works in that particular time. You got to worship a, a patron god, deity of that guild. And to do that, you got to act out. So to work, you got to do it. So these guys that are in the house church, they're going to eventually be persecuted because they don't worship Caesar and they don't participate in the guilds. They walk away from it. And this is why Nero starts, starts, oh, 10 or 15 years later from this letter, starts burning Christians on crosses. 
Paul says, when, I mean, think about this. Think about some of them that are sitting in that church are going to be persecuted to the extent that you and I have never thought about being persecuted. And he's saying to them, look, like setting your mind on the spirit, it's life and peace. Even in the midst of that, it's life and peace. The, the theologian Barclay said this quote, I think it's so good, to allow the things of the world to completely dominate your life is self-extinction, it's spiritual suicide. Like you just know intuitively, if I participate in drunkenness and orgies and the like, eventually bad things are gonna happen. My life is gonna go rogue, wrong. But, but what if my life is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? It's gonna be different. I might get, might get me crucified. Might look like my rabbi. Might look like my savior. But the heart of the one that is being crucified, the mind of the one that's been crucified with Christ and no longer lives, but Christ lives in me, uh, is free, is not burdened. You can kill me, but you can't kill the body. It's, 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 it's a beautiful life. So I have to ask you this question before we move on. The question just is, what occupies your thinking? What is your mindset on? Now, here's, here's good news. In 9 and 11, we learn that the Holy Spirit is, wor- is at work inside of us. He's, he's indwelling us, and he's at work inside of us. He does things that we would not be able to do without him in the context of our own lives. And I'm just going to point out two here. Verses 9 to 11, it tells us the, about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christ follower. Look at verse uh, uh, 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. That's just like Paul was saying, I'm still struggling with my flesh. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of the righteousness of Jesus on the cross. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit has indwelled you. He has sealed you. And he is the believer's guarantee of life and life eternal. Death is a consequence of sin. You might not have done anything to deserve it. It's like Jesus taught, you know, the blind man. Why is he blind? The disciples are like, what did he do? It's like he didn't do anything. But it's, it's, it's the reality of the world that we live in, the brokenness of the cosmos, of the creation because of sin. Death is a consequence of sin, but... In the Holy Spirit, life is is the reward of justification by faith, and it is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's indwelling you now. Just think about this for a moment. Your heart stops. You have no more, like, capacity to make a decision in that moment. You're completely out of control. Your body dies. What happens to your soul? Well, that is a good thing that you have in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling you. He's a spirit, and he, he convenes and conveys and indwells your spirit. 
and he can be trusted. He sealed you in such a way that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And the moment that your heart stops, he does the work. He's the one that guarantees life and life eternal. He's the one that's been at work in your life. You fought him with your flesh all this time, and he's the one that sealed you. He's the one that guarantees your eternal life beyond this. It's Jesus that did the work on the Christ. It's the indwelling Holy Spirit that brings life in that moment. It also says in verse 11 something astounding. The Holy Spirit will raise even your mortal body. The Holy Spirit will raise even your mortal body. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, Paul, in many of his letters, points out that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first raised, and many more will be raised in Christ, right? So your body, though it dies, one day will be raised to walk in a brand new way, like Jesus was raised. Recognizable, I think, different, though, in that it will never die, you will never die again in this new, new body, so when Paul begins to say this, he's saying to a people who have not yet lived it but will, when your body is crucified because you're being persecuted because of Jesus, because you won't worship the emperor, because you won't participate in the gills, because you say, you know, the only true way is through Jesus, a risen Nazarene, and you begin to face persecution because of that, and your body is charred and marred and dismembered and all of that, don't worry. He will raise even your mortal body. And we know when we study the, the return of Christ, we see this, ma- in the text, we see this massive raising of the saints, the bodies of the saints. So I'm just saying, work out, because you're going to have this thing a long time. I'm just kidding. You're going to get a new one. <laughs> According to the scripture, you're going to get a new one. And he, 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 when, and when Jesus says, I am making all things new, we like to focus on, he's gone to prepare a place for us, for me, and when I die, I will go there and be with him. But we forget the, 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 the restoration of all things in this cosmological backdrop of that he will restore all things and it's heaven coming down. And when that, that happens, the bodies of the saints will be raised and even your decayed, mortal, gone, gone body will be made to walk in new life. He is making all things new. See, that's why you can trust him with your drug addiction, with your marriage, with your pornography addiction, with your disease, with your hurt, with your pain, because he is making all things new. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. So what's the good news? How should we respond? Well, I think for the believer, there's, there's one choice. Uh, joy. Joy. 
I think we look at this and we think, okay, this, the circumstances, sometimes in my life, maybe all the time in my life, the circumstances are difficult, tough, sufferers. I've been through hard things. But what we cling to at a 30,000-foot view is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit, set your mind on him. He's sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He's changing your mind. He's going to take you to the place that he's prepared for you. He's going to return all, restore all things. He's even going to raise your mortal body. Everything will be made new. You can hold on to that in the worst parts of my life. And there's been a few. In the worst parts, I remember this phrase that someone told me one time, and I'll never forget it, in the deepest, darkest, worst, hard, where I felt like God should rescue me, and he wasn't. I remember thinking, this is as close to hell as I'm ever going to get. That's it. The bottom. But for me, that's as close. Because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for the believer, you should just like take a deep breath, let, lay the burdens down, like ex- let yourself experience the joy that is better than a golf clap. <laughs> bravo, Jesus, bravo. Good work. It's better than that. And for the one that uh, maybe, maybe you haven't trusted God, for, for your own salvation, you've heard all this, you've, you've kind of, but, but you just haven't like been able to trust God yet for whatever uh, reason. Uh, your response, what, what would your response be? Well, I, I think you're faced with a choice, like either that all of us are faced with, either we believe all this is true or we believe it isn't. We either believe all this is true, we believe it isn't. Uh, if it isn't, there is no hope. If it is, and I wish I had two hours to talk about why it is, very credible to believe. But if it is, then we have hope that there's no condemnation in Christ. We have hope that he will raise us like he he was raised. We have hope of eternity. And most of all, in this moment, the way that you'll feel it initially is you have hope for the forgiveness of your sins that you can turn to him with all the junk that we all have. Don't think that, not, that none of us here have struggled. We all have. But you can lay that at his feet, and you will find better than, than a police officer who doesn't write you the ticket and gives you a verbal warning. You will find grace that says, come be my daughter. Come be my son. Let me put a ring on your finger. Let me put a, a new robe on you. I have... I've got a plan for you, a purpose for you in my household. Then you can leave the shame and leave the guilt behind and begin a new walk, a whole new way of living, a new life in him. The scripture just says, you, you, how do you even take that first step? It says this, you uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's your first step. You could do that right there in your chair. You could pray. You just say, to, if you say, I don't know how to pray, okay, just talk then. And just say, I, I believe, I believe that you have, have saved people from 
their sins because of your work on the cross, and I need you to save me from mine. And uh, I believe that you, you were raised from the dead. That's actually, you are praying when you talk to Jesus like that. Just talk to him. And the scripture says he does the work. His Holy Spirit does the work, and you'll begin a new life. And maybe that's how you need to respond today, some of, some of you. Would you uh, bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you in any way he needs to in these, these final moments together? Jesus, we thank you for condemning sin so that we did not have to be condemned. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for your death, your burial, your resurrection. Thank you that you're coming again. Thank you that you're making all things new. We bless you and thank you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that, that know you, that are believers, they walk with you, but they feel um, maybe stuck maybe stuck in sin in some way, maybe burden of just world and circumstances and whatever. God, would you just help them to turn to you and find the forgiveness that you offer and lay the, the burden down or, or find, find rest in you that, that you say we can have just because you've, you're sovereign over all of this. And, and no matter what we're going through right now, you know, we can trust you to lead us through and God, for the, the people that will hear this teaching that maybe they're far from you, maybe they don't, they don't know what it means to trust you, Jesus, for salvation, for new life, for eternity, for the forgiveness of sins. I, I pray that by your spirit, you would, you would woo them, that they would feel that in their gut. They would know like this is right and that, that you would draw them by your kindness and that they would have the courage just to talk to you and confess that you're Lord and that you were raised from the dead. And would you save their souls in the midst of that? Thank you for this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church at Rome that we have access to. Unbelievable. Thanks that we get to read it today and, and hear the truth of it. Would you let that sink deep into our bones? We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.